0: The we're going family style deal because I want a bite of your Big Mac and I need some of your Quarter Pounder. I'll try your fillet fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any
1: two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Guilda Wiaka
0: Thank you for joining us on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading experts, bringing the latest knowledge to support your evolutionary process. You are a very important part of this discussion. Email missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour, we'll discuss remote viewing as a path to enlightenment. Most of us have heard of remote viewing. It tends to bring to mind covert government agencies spying on others using strange, classified, esoteric means. But what is it really? What are its origins? How does it work? What impact does engaging it have on the practitioner? But most importantly, can it aid our evolution into more conscious human beings? With us this hour to share his experience as a professional remote viewer is John Vianco, the author of The Time Before the Secret Words, On the Path of Remote Viewing, High Strangeness, and Zen. He was trained in the remote viewing esoteric method of information retrieval shortly after it was declassified in 1995. Because of his skills, he quickly became a professional remote viewer and director of operations for one of the few successful civilian remote viewing think tanks to date, Transdimensional Systems. His website, righthemispheric.com. That's righthemispheric.com. John, thank you for joining us on Mission Evolution.
1: Thank you for having me, Gwilda. I really appreciate you bringing me on today. Yeah.
0: So tell us about your, uh, how you trained to become a remote viewer.
1: Well, so me personally, I, I have always been down a spiritual path, um, but I never considered myself a psychic. You know, I had more or less grown up um, with, with a family, parents who were very interested in this aspect of finding the truth within yourself through meditation. So I had that huge background behind me. I, was a, um, I have a degree in fine art. So it was a little creative side uh, that really drove me into this. Um, and to be honest, you know, when I, when I heard of the declassification of remote viewing in 1995, it was this, you know, I think it was Ted Koppel, Nightline, where he basically out of the program. Uh, all I heard was psychic spy. Psychic spy. That's it. And I thought, I don't think I'm psychic but I'm going to do this. I have to learn this. I've got to do this. So I started off, um, you know, you think of 1995, the internet, there was was not much of an internet, but there were ex-military trainers already out there. And I think they were charging around $14,000 for a course in remote viewing. Oh my goodness. It was crazy. So I... I obviously, you know, being a starving artist back then, I could not do that. So I was able to cobble together how to do it by contacting various people and looking on the Internet. There were these little forums here and there. And so I started to, to try to do it myself based off of what these people were describing. And it was interesting. It really worked. And here's a person, I thought, that was not psychic at all. Um, so, So from there i sought out formal training in it but i did not go to any of the ex-military remote viewers i did not want to be associated with that realm so there was a person that was training that was not military named prudence calabrese and i was trained by her now the interesting thing about myself is that so i would a fine artist i really all i was trained to do was to describe how light falls on a surface right that's what you do with painting or drawing you're just describing how light hits things and and in remote viewing it comes to translate as a person who describes things in a very physical way which is a much sought after skill that um people in remote viewing look for because you know you know think about us think about your life think about um how you live through making meaning out of things, how you live within metaphor and concepts with your experiences and the world around you. So in remote viewing, a lot of people will describe things through metaphor, through simile, through concepts. But for me, it was literally just describing things in a very physical way. So, because,
0: excuse me, were, um, were you more visual then with the information you
1: got? Well, see, remote viewing is a funny term. It implies the viewing part implies sort of a movie in your mind, right? But you know, it's not a hundred percent that. Now that happens and I get a lot of that. I get visuals. But visuals are still an interpretation of a low level process that's happening to your nervous system within the construct of remote viewing. And so it comes the visuals
0: through... can be metaphorical or literal.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Okay.
0: Okay. And so so what, let's back up a little bit. What yeah. exactly is remote viewing? So we're all on the same page here.
1: Exactly. Remote viewing. What is it? So it was about the early 1970s that the Soviets were developing psychics as spies. The CIA caught wind of this. They asked Stanford Research Institute in Menlo Park to see if this is something viable. Um, you, you know, you have to understand what your enemy is doing, even if you think it's nuts. So they went into a program where they decided to see if they can create some consistency and use information from psychics um, to base intelligence operations off of or just to confirm things that they don't know about. So through SRI, they were able to create a system that they called remote viewing where they would train psychics in a very special methodology that they developed uh, as a way to um, get information on those things that are, that we call them non-local. In other words, they're not in front of your face. Um, and when you use a group of these psychics, all looking at the same thing, then you cross-corroborate their data to build pictures and reports on what's there. So you never use one single remote viewer. And then this was declassified in 1995. So really, remote viewing is a, a specific technique um, that, they called, they named it this, um, uh, in order to get information on things that are non-local and use it for intelligence-gathering purposes.
0: Okay, so as I sit here listen to you describe it, it sounds um, like what's been used in shamanism for over 60,000 years to go find game.
1: Well, it is. That's the, that's the interesting thing. So remote viewing, I mean, you know, all throughout history – um world leaders uh tribal leaders they've gone to seers they've gone to oracles they've gone to shamans medicine men and women in order to understand the future to understand where the game is to understand what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going on with somebody else that they're going to fight so this is really the bureaucratized version of it to turn it into some type of institution uh, and I know, you know, since I worked within the field uh, for quite a while, that that this continues on today. Even though it was declassified, there are versions of this that continue on the, today because it's cheap information. You know, it's like a, a shaman doing the shaman's work is been proven to be accurate throughout history. Not always accurate, but pretty much there nearly all the time. So why not use this?
0: It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Now, I understand that um, with remote viewing, as with shamanic remote viewing, uh, you can tell where you are, but maybe not when. Or you can tell when you are, but maybe not where. How do you work around that?
1: Yeah, it's a funny thing. Um, Remote viewing, okay, so there's two aspects to remote viewing. There is the way that you call, we call it tasking a remote viewer, the way that you task a remote viewer. In other words, how do you give them something to remote view? Now, you don't just go up to them and say, Well, I want you to look at um, the Eiffel Tower right now, because that can bring in a lot of um, uh, thoughts that they have, memory of the place, this and that, and not really maybe hit a psychic place with it. So the way remote viewing works is that the way they first started this was they used coordinates across the Earth. So they'd pick a coordinate with some sort of secret facility there that nobody knew about. They would only give the remote viewers the coordinate number. They wouldn't say anything else about it. And then the remote viewers would just go through their methodology and describe what's there. Okay. Whoa, how do
0: they use – sorry, you you hit hit another question here. How do they use coordinates, particularly if someone's not used to working with longitude and latitude?
1: Well, see, that's – okay, so the coordinate you can think of – the whole coordinate system on, on Earth, you can think of it as a conceptual framework in order to task a remote viewer. See, when, in the beginnings of remote viewing, they had to figure out a way to ask the psychic to get the information they want without telling them what they actually want. And that was the whole problem they had in the beginning. And that was – that, and and so – Ingo Swann, who was the godfather of remote viewing, came up with this coordinate style system that he wanted to test. So he figured that since it's a conceptual framework, a number that's associated with a location, all you got to do is, hey, since they're psychic anyway, all you got to do is give them that coordinate number. And then they just close their eyes, they start sensing in their body, they start sketching things out. Now, amazingly, when they did this, uh, when the CIA, when they brought this to the CIA, this method to keep the remote viewers, we, so what, what we call blind to the target, they were able to get information on a classified site that the CIA had, that they gave them the coordinates to, um, and they had to classify all the information because it was so accurate. So, so you have to think of it like a conceptual framework. The number is related to a location. Right. And that's all it is. And so that's the very basic framework of remote viewing to keep them blind. Right. So
0: did the did the practitioner need to have some basic working knowledge of longitude and latitude in order to zero in on the coordinate or did they just put the numbers in their head on off they went?
1: They just they basically they just write the numbers down and they start sketching what is at that location. That's it. Oh,
0: interesting. Interesting. So they were creating a visual of it.
1: Exactly. They're creating a visual of it. Now, later on, since that's a conceptual framework, the realization was, well, heck, I could just write down an eight-digit number randomly and then write down what I want the remote viewer to remote view. And that works just as well, and that's what we use today. We don't use coordinates on – like planets we use a system where we write down a random eight digit number and then we can have them so i can have them remote view for instance president lincoln giving the emancipation proclamation speech in whatever year that is so see we could put a date with it now whereas if they just if you just use the coordinate style on a planet you can't put a date and you can see there
0: but we don't know when
1: Exactly. But now mm-hmm. we can be very specific with dates by taking a viewer, by pointing that to that right in the tasking. What's what we call this, a tasking. And, and they, uh, they don't know what date they're going to. They don't know where they're going. They never know where they're going. It could be anywhere in the universe. And they will go to that location and that place in time, if there is a time construct, and they will describe what's there.
0: So is the location and the time in those um, random figures that you spoke of?
1: No, it's not. It's literally like I will write down a rant. So I will basically do it like this. I will write a random number on a piece of paper. 05246630. And then I will write something like if whatever I wanted them to remote view, let's just say Abraham Lincoln, emancipation proclamation speech and the date. Then what I will do is I will only give the remote viewer that eight digit number. They will. So not... you've
0: you've related. I'm sorry. You've related the number to the location and the time by writing it next to the number.
1: Exactly. So it's an intent based thing. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. And then so that's so that's what we call the remote viewing tasking method. And that's really what remote viewing is. Now, there are also remote viewing methodologies. You can use shamanism uh, methodologies that you have in shamanism um, for I can give you a tag. Right. One of those eight digit numbers. And you can go into one of your shamanic trances and go journey there. You know, so you can use any methodology you want with that basic remote viewing um, tasking method.
0: So it sounds like that the person that is creating the task has to be very clear in their intent.
1: Very clear. you got to be mm. very focused. You have to have no um, ideas about what it could be or couldn't be. And you just bind that, what, where you want them to go, with the number. And that's it.
0: Fascinating. Well, we're going to have to uh, take a commercial break. Um, John and I will return shortly, so you folks stay right there. This is just starting to get really interesting. This is Mission Evolution coming to you on the Zone Broadcast Network www.xedbn.net. Hello again. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To all our faithful and thoughtful audience, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about the viability of remote viewing? Email me at info at and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled Deep Dive, Evolving Through Introspection. L.R. states, I enjoyed this episode and found a lot of value in it, but in the process of introspection, can't a person get stuck in their old stories and use them as an excuse not to move forward? Thanks, L.R. You have a valid point. I'd have to say the key is, as Winston Churchill said, if you're going through hell, keep going. Curious, dear audience, visit our archives at missionevolution.org, listen to the episode entitled Deep Dive, Evolving Through Introspection, and let us know what you think. With us this hour discussing remote viewing as an evolutionary tool is John Co., His website, right? Hemispheric.com. John, we were getting into the um, the portion of remote viewing that has to do with the tasking itself and the person that does the tasking. It sounds to me like the person that does the tasking requires a fair amount of training as well as the one doing the remote viewing. Is that correct?
1: Ab- absolutely. Um, in fact, the, the tasker in remote viewing is also a remote viewer. It's just that when a a tasker is uh, giving out a project or a setting for other remote viewers to do, they will not be remote viewing on that because we always approach everything blind. In other words, the remote viewers never know what they're going to be looking at beforehand, so they can't concoct things.
0: I've, I've certainly seen this um, in you know, working with people shamanically is that if the practitioner has preconceived ideas, even um, hidden agendas, hidden from themselves, it will taint the information. Is this what you're trying yeah. to avoid by the blind system?
1: Absolutely. It will taint the information. So we want to keep a very strict uh, method as far as tasking remote viewers. And, but you, here's the thing. Now, the, you know as well as I know that you know being a practitioner yourself shamanic practitioner that once you get to a certain place after doing this so many years you know what it feels like to be on that uh that line we call it a signal line you know what it feels like and so i have taken very experienced long-time remote viewers and i've told them what to remote view with in other words We call that front-loaded, 100% front-loaded. And I've told them exactly what to to remote view, but it has a hidden aspect. They're able to jump on it completely because they know what it feels like and then go into that hidden aspect and describe that fully without letting any sort of uh, ideas about it get in the way. So there is this kind of mixed bag about it when you get into that. And then also, you know, when you're working operationally in remote viewing, you are using all different methods. You aren't using just blind because the very experienced remote viewers, because they don't need to work blind all the time and they can get more focused information if they're not blind.
0: Yes, they have more of a background. They, uh, it doesn't kind of give them a jump start as long as they're able to really feel when they're on and when they're coming right. from their own issues.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Okay, so that takes years of experience. How, how many years would you say before a person can kind of reach that level of mastery?
1: You know, I would say, okay, so we, I usually train for about a year. If, if somebody wants to go operational, I will train them for about a year, but it's, it's a lot of dedication on their part. Um, after that, I'd say is when the real fun begins, because the, about, it takes about a year for them to truly understand and feel what we call the signal line and be on top of it and not make stuff up. See, that's the thing with remote viewing is that, that remote viewing literally is a, you have to let go of what you think you know about things. You have to let go of your ideas and concepts about what you think something is because the term remote viewing for one thing, okay, it implies viewing. It seems like that's like a movie happening in your mind, right? It's not that. It's about low level sensory information. Um, It's about sounds, smells, tastes, touch. You get visuals too, but it's about feeling textures. It's about a general knowingness that you have about things. It's what we call low level information. And it's, it's, if you go around your house and you start, you know, you close your eyes, you put a blindfold on, you start touching things and you don't know what they are. What sort of language would you use? to describe these things. You wouldn't go into high level concepts about these things. You would only say, oh well it's it's if it's, it's it's hard, it's soft, it's got these edges right here. It 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 makes a ting sound when I hit it. So this is how remote viewers typically work. So they describe in this way on this low-level way. Now obviously You come to a high-level conclusion based off of low-level information. That's how we survive in this world. But in remote viewing, when you come to a high-level conclusion about low-level information, it is typically wrong. So you have to learn how to let go of high-level information because once you believe it's something, then that can cause you to go down the path of making something up about what you believe it is.
0: It sounds like what we do every day of our lives. We catastrophize based on our history versus the actual facts at hand.
1: Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so this is, this is where it goes into – now, I spent, I spent many years living in a Zen monastery, and all I would do is sit on that cushion and meditate. Um, and I was very involved in remote viewing at the same time. in in this period that I was living in this. So this is what we call a lay monastery. And so people would come and go from it. And I was the caretaker of this Zen center. And so I could also work. Um, Otherwise, it would have been a situation where I couldn't work and just be a monk, right? And so in that time, I was running this remote viewing think tank, I was struggling inside of myself with, well, should I just give up everything with the world and just stay here and go just into meditation? That's it. The the, the Roshi, we call it a Roshi and Zen, uh, the teacher at the monastery said, John, in order to be the best remote viewer you can be, you've got to let go of every shred of yourself. You have to become empty. And so for me at that point, this deep understanding came remote viewing is no different than sitting on that cushion for hours because what you're doing in remote viewing is letting go of your high level concepts about things and it's microcosm macrocosm when you're sitting on the cushion you're letting go of your ideas about yourself of needing to do this or needing to do that so that you can see what reality truly truly is And so so remote is actually
0: viewing, a form it's, it's a form of yeah. um, totally being present
1: exactly completely 100 percent present and not going into the the brain and Mm -hmm. to make up ideas about something that can lead you into suffering for instance i mean that's this is really what zen is about right you know you 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 get outside of your thinking mind and go deep down inside yourself to see what truly is and being very present same with remote viewing it's the same type of process now i'm not saying remote viewing is a spiritual path but it has the, the depth, the very beginning point, uh, for people to go on a spiritual path.
0: Yes, it's interesting because just as we've been speaking through these two segments, um, we've already tied it to um, meditation and um, shamanic journey work, both of which are spiritual practices. So it's like it's taking from these forms to, um, uh, to allow the practitioner to access the the zone they need to be in to remote view is that accurate
1: that's absolutely correct and here's the thing too think about the term remote viewing well that term makes perfect sense in the i guess the output of the remote viewing sessions to somebody who's not initiated into it right remote viewing but what do you do for for one thing it's not strictly viewing the other thing is that is it remote what do you do you you kind of close your eyes you go inside yourself to sense and feel I mean, when they first did these experiments in remote viewing for the CIA, they could have called it demonstrations in oneness. Because how can you go inside yourself and sense and feel something if it doesn't exist within you? So the whole thing about remote viewing is that if you are not it, you cannot perceive it.
0: Oh, interesting. So uh, just down to practicality, what is remote viewing used for?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's the whole information side. <laughs> um, remote viewing, well, the, the military um, intelligence apparatus used it and uses it for uh, getting information on locations and sites that they can't get information on any other way. So they would use it during the Cold War um, to... Develop more information around secret Soviet bases. Um, They would also use it for remote viewing diplomatic meetings to understand, you know, what happened during those meetings. Heck, during the the uh, first Gulf War, they used it. uh, They even tried to use it with an aspect we call remote influencing to remote influence Saddam Hussein to give up.
0: Um, How successful was that?
1: Not, it didn't work. See, the thing with re- remote influencing, it's like the red-haired stepchild of, like, um, um, remote healing, right? The, the, this remote influencing thing, they use quite a bit, um, but the other aspect is remote healing. And you can use this to help people, to actually help environments and help situations. Um, it's, like I say, it's got this, like, very deep and spread out shamanic um, Uh, Vibe to it. And anything within shaman, I mean, really, it's just a reflection of shamanism. Ultimately, that's what it is.
0: In ancient times, um, shaman, as I understand through my studies, weren't all that concerned about um, morality and permission. But in later years, that's become a very large part of shamanic practice. You don't practice shamanism without permission. You don't right. put energy on somebody that doesn't belong, as in exactly. Saddam. Uh, you don't take energy away from someone what does belong, all of those things. So I understand there's no such uh, guidelines in remote viewing.
1: Oh, no, there are. So when you're talking about the military, they don't have guidelines. They absolutely don't. When you get out into what I do and how I train people, there are absolutely guidelines. You know, not that anything is is private these days, not even our thoughts, but you have to respect other beings and give them that which they would give to you.
0: What do you You mean our thoughts aren't private?
1: Well, thoughts that people have, um, they bleed out everywhere and you can sense and feel them, vibrations. And so people's thoughts, they leak everywhere. And anyone can access those thoughts if you know so how you to have access them. Yeah, you have to be trained though, right? You have to be trained, right. Mm-hmm. But because you are trained doesn't mean you should. Because you, you have to give people the respect the privacy that they want that they deserve, um, and that's how that's how we act. We don't we don't do anything. Um, unless we were working we, I had worked with counterterror, I had worked for detectives. Um, and unless we're dealing with somebody who's breaking the law um, and going to hurt people, uh, that was the only way that we would use these other methods to understand what's going on in their consciousness, their minds.
0: So that's that's pretty much what law enforcement does. Is like people have their rights and their privacy until they break the law, and then all bets okay. are off. Pretty much,
1: yeah, pretty much. But even today, I don't do so. It's still, it still is like I would just love to leave all that behind. You know, I still get clients and whatnot, and I mostly live within the realm of media these days, trying to inspire people into learning it themselves. But you know, occasionally I will get that. Uh, where I have to go into somebody's mind, or I have to basically describe a perpetrator and reasons why this person is doing a certain thing, um, and it's never it's never a fun thing to do because you still don't want to go into somebody's mind.
0: Right, and particularly when you're going into a mind that's somewhat twisted, it can be yeah. very uncomfortable. How do you? Um, we're just about out of time in this segment, but I take it you have methods to clear when you have gone into that place so that you aren't carrying it around with you.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you have to. Um,
0: <laughs> well, we'll pick up on how you do it on the other side of yet another commercial break. John and I will return to our discussion shortly, so you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution coming to you on the Exon Broadcast Network, www.exxbn.net. back, this is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire leading-edge, information-packed past episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. To find out more about me, Gwilda and the other evolutionary tools I offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com Our guest this hour is John Vavanko. We're speaking about the esoteric skill of remote viewing. His website, righthemispheric.com. John we were getting into the permission issue um, and and I'd like to go into how do you protect yourself okay so say I don't want somebody remote viewing me in the shower how is there a way that I personally can protect myself from um, someone that might want to uh, remote view me without permission
1: you know for me for me I connect into source um, if I feel something um, whether it's a ghostly type presence, uh, or a remote viewer, because I have felt that many times in the past, I will just kind of go into my heart and I will bring in energy, like a source energy and, and extend my energy field out. Um, so this is, you know, this, this is something that is, is more like a a thing, a process that I learned over time. Um, And moving into a place where I bring love and source energy that I direct to help transform this individual or this energy that's deciding it wants to look at me. So I treat everything as this sort of from a from more of a heart centered standpoint rather than going on the attack. You know, I know a lot of people out there think about I want to protect myself and attack back. Um, Especially in the remote viewing field, because you have to understand where it came from, right? It came from that military industrial complex. And so a lot of people will have that attitude about it. But I take a different tact. And I feel that, you know, connecting into source and into my heart really creates a nice uh, barrier in a sense.
0: Well, if we go into the attack, don't we just drop our frequency, reduce our field, and become more vulnerable, ultimately? Exactly,
1: exactly. But a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, really, you know, there's, there's nothing that anyone can truly or anything can truly do to you. I mean, you are source itself. So what can affect that? What can change that? Nothing. And in fact, that realization in and of itself is something that always protects you.
0: So the place that we're vulnerable is through our patterns and our distortions, not the true essence of who we are. Is that what you're getting at?
1: Yeah, it's like it's the wounds that we have, the scripts that we have that that are truly what does the most damage. You know, they get in through those in a sense, you know, and and work us up around that stuff.
0: So what, what are the limitations of remote viewing?
1: Limitations? Well, okay. so a single remote viewer is can be very limited. Um, because remote viewers can be very on during one session, they can also be very off. So that is why. So I would say, like singularly remote, singular remote viewer can be very uh, iffy at times. Now, we cover that base by using a multitude of remote viewers on one single question, and and an analyst. So, that you know, these remote viewers they go through their whole methodology, they do one session. Let's say you have five remote viewers, and then you take all of that information you're looking maybe, you know, 20 pieces of paper, 20 pages each for each remote viewer, and then you cross corroborate the information within them. And so, that turns it into something more powerful than a singular remote viewer that you know eh, you might not be able to rely on it. Um, So, the other type of limitation is remote viewing things that are more on the esoteric side, because you don't, you know, if you think about somebody from the past, let's say somebody during 800 uh, AD saw an airplane and they got to walk through that airplane and look at it and watch it fire up and fly around in it. I mean, they wouldn't know how to describe this. It would be like magic to them. They would use metaphors and concepts of their time to try and some, describe something that is way beyond their understanding, way beyond what their language can hold. And so with remote viewing, when you're viewing, like, let's just say future technologies or um, alien crafts, UFOs, stuff on other planets even, you find a limitation there in trying to find the language to explain some of this stuff.
0: And also the concepts to translate it accurately.
1: Right, right. You You don't don't have a framework. Yeah. No framework, okay. no framework at all.
0: That that makes sense to me. Um, so let's talk a little bit about if you're traveling in time with remote viewing. What about alternate realities? I mean, every moment can be changed by a change of choice by the individual. How how does that play in there?
1: You know, it's a funny thing. So, so after nine eleven, um, my my company was asked to do counter terror uh, with the FBI. Uh, and so we, you know, we went into basically d- doing future terrorist attacks on U.S. soil. That's that's what we were asked to do. It was basically, um, what's the next terrorist attack by such and such group look like on U.S. soil? So at that point in time, I thought, well, you know, this stuff's probably pretty solid within the timeline, and whatever we get in remote viewing is what's going to happen. But what we saw, we, since we were asked to do this on a on a weekly. Uh, a couple times a month basis, the same question over and over again, we saw that it was constantly shifting and constantly changing. Now, you would also hope that uh, they were preventing any potential future attacks and your information had something to do with it, but you know, we never had tea time with them. They never told us anything. So all we saw was a changing future landscape uh, through remote viewing on how these attacks attacks or non-attacks would evolve and change. And that Mm. got me very curious because I pretty much at that point thought, well, everything's going to be solid, but it's not, it's absolutely not solid. So we started looking into the nature of time and with remote viewing and what, what it was like, you know, it's very difficult to describe, but it was like all time and events come out of this, this hole in a sense. And this, this hole doesn't even know how the events are going to end up. Let's just call it source. It all comes from this source, and this source doesn't even know how things are going to end up. And as you move forward in time, other events start hitting it. Um, even the consciousness of the remote viewers begin to change it. The so observer effect. It is. It's like the double slit experiment. Mm-hmm in that the observer will change the outcome of the event so so we found the same thing with remote viewing and in fact later on so the normal way that i would task a Let's say a future terrorist attack would be describe the next terrorist attack on u.s soil by such and such now when you task that to remote viewers it's straight out you know you get horrible things on paper right viewers have all of this you know guns and bombs and stuff like that now at a certain point i was asked to put a qualifier before that and that was without affecting any event describe the next terrorist attack
0: oh aha okay.
1: right So what happened? Now, remember, the remote viewers are blind. All they get is that eight-digit number, so they don't know what they're viewing. So the remote viewers describe just a guy in a field riding a horse. That's it. So their subconscious knows that if they go to that event, they're going to change it. They're going to create instability in that event. So in, in future testing on this type of tasking, you know, to task remote viewers to say, if you ask a remote viewer in that tasking to not affect the event, they won't go to the event.
0: Very fascinating. So there is, basically, from what you're telling me, there's no way that we can remotely view an event without having
1: impacting the outcome? There's no way. No way at all. No way. And in fact, you can be impacted as well. I mean, I have, uh, one time I was remote viewing, it was a... It was just a practice session, but there were a bunch of us viewers. Um, We were in training, and I had a monitor. A monitor just basically keeps you on task while you're doing a session. And during this one session, the monitor got frustrated with me. I was doing it for about an hour. I got a person who was in a house on fire, and I'd go back to this other uh, tubular-like structure with a person looking at maps in it. I was going back and forth and back and forth. Finally, my monitor said, okay, I want you to stand up. Pretend like you are, you know, you're in the house. I want you to go to the front door and go outside. So I did that. And when I did that, all of a sudden I saw all around me a burning city and I started running in place, yelling and screaming, I'm in Dresden, I'm on fire. Because I knew that I was in Dresden, Germany during the firebombing in World War II. So when that happened, all the remote viewers stopped doing their work and were just staring at me going, look, what's wrong with this guy? Part of the reason was because I had burn marks all over my face. Oh goodness. Yeah. So Physical those last- burn marks: Physical burn marks. So those lasted for about 15 minutes, and then they gradually faded out. So, so the remote viewer, depending on their, their depth of contact during an, a session, can be affected at the same time. How did
0: this change your view? And I don't just mean the part of being burnt. I mean recognizing that we do impact, that there is no way to avoid impacting, and that the future is subjective. How did this change your worldview, and how have you been working with that personally?
1: I am very careful. I'm very careful and very compassionate, and do not step heavily. (laughs) I step lightly and feel about what my impact could potentially be on myself and others before I engage. So I'll use my intuition quite a bit and generally just be very um, intuitively guided on what I should and shouldn't do.
0: Do you think that people that are more processed, um, that stand more in love, that have extended their fields actually have more impact than people that are not?
1: Yeah, they do. Absolutely do. Um, I, I, you know, it's kind of like that, you know, the, the whole thing about manifestation where um, you can manifest and there's this idea around it that negative manifesting takes longer to manifest than positive manifestations. And so I feel it's the same with this, that positively approaching through the heart has more of an impact because everybody wants that everything wants to go that direction everything grows that's how things grow they don't they don't grow as well in darkness
0: so basically it's working with the way life works versus working against it
1: right yeah it's like tai chi it's almost you know it's a martial art you know remote viewing has been described as a martial art of the mind
0: fascinating so being mindful of of Staying in integrity and staying with the flow of life will keep you clean, more or less, uh, when you're working with this stuff.
1: You hope so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that isn't there? Yeah,
0: my goodness. So what impact does engaging in this form have on the practitioner as an individual?
1: Well, I mean, for one thing, it, it, it opens your eyes up to who you are within the multiverse. I mean we, we, we live in a multi dimensional universe and our all of us, every single one of us is engaging in all these multiverse in the multiverse with all these aspects of ourselves whether we realize it or not. You know, the physical construct is is one aspect that we get very focused into. But it changes a person to be much more aware and operate on multiple levels um, of the multiverse and be able to interact with other beings within that whole realm and in fact you know with re- remote viewing you, you can um, interact with beings i mean i've had experiences where we've remote viewed an al- so-called alien event to understand if it's real or not and then later on i get them physically showing up so it kind of turns what, what, you in, what do you mean physically showing up? I know it sounds absolutely insane, but this is something that happens to remote viewers. When you go into the lore and the stories around remote viewing, other remote viewers will talk about this as well. Um, I, I worked a project once, for instance, uh, where we were working with Ruben Ariarte and Joyce Murphy. They were they had a TV show on the Learning Channel called We're yeah. going to
0: have to pick up on that on the other side. Sorry to leave you with a cliffhanger, but it is time for a commercial break. John and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, you. This is Mission Evolution. We bring together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest, email us, info at missionevolution.org. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. To find out more about me, Gulda my school, and the other evolutionary tools we offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. This hour, we'll be sharing thoughts with John Vivanco, his website, righthemispheric.com. John, we were just getting into some really fun stuff. Um, You were talking about the multiverse, uh, viewing alien um, environments, and actually having something alien show up in your ordinary reality. Would you go into that story you were about to start?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, getting a little esoteric here. Uh, this is the, the weird flip side of remote viewing. Um, well, so we were working on the project, and they wanted to go to Puerto Rico for this television show they were doing. To They were hunting for the chupacabra, you know, and they wanted to see if they could film one. And so they asked us if we would look for, into for, that.
0: I'm sorry, for those of us that don't know, what is that?
1: So the chupacabra is supposedly a cryptid, which is a, an unknown animal. Mm-hmm. And it apparently is around three to four feet tall, has big eyes. It, it, it sucks the blood out of chickens. The chupacabra um, basically stands for goat sucker. So it sucks the go- uh, goats and chickens dry of their blood. Now, whether that's something real or not, i had no idea i don't know i had never looked into that with remote viewing and a lot of these stories you know who knows where they come from but they also wanted us to look at another thing and this other thing were, were these lights that were coming down around the arecibo radio telescope which is that big telescope featured in the movie contact with jody foster okay. uh, and that was the location they were going to so all these lights were coming down from the sky the local peoples had uh had been seeing them for a while and they were going into the forest coming from space it appeared and the they had asked some people at the radio telescope if you know they knew of these and what were they and oddly you know it's funny they got the answer that oh these are those are just satellites that we're bringing down for service very strange answer that was given but so they wanted us to remote view that stuff as well now i was the first remote viewer in on what the source of those lights were and while I was doing the session I started to really perceive these 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 things that were moving through the atmosphere they almost they were almost like seed pots they would swirl and spin as they came down and they would land in the forest and these beings were responsible for guiding them in and then coming out of them
0: now and, Al, can I stop you for just a second? Uh, to clarify. So you were like in a in a remote viewing trance rather than seeing literally in the moment in space and exactly. time?
1: Exactly. Okay. So I was in a remote viewing trance. Okay. Yes. Doing my regular remote viewing process. And so I'm describing this stuff. I have a monitor and um, all of a sudden while I'm doing this, you know, I'm describing these beings and I start to get a sensation that Their awareness had turned towards me, and I'm sure you've had that before in shamanic practices where you have beings that have an awareness that's very broad, and they take notice of you. Same with these beings, so they took notice of me, and I cut the session short there because I was thinking, oh, no, oh, no, they're going to visit me. It wasn't about two weeks later when I was in my house that I got very tired at night, and I was woken up. It was, I got very tired early. It was very odd, uh, not normal tiredness for me, and I just fell asleep. I was woken up by a hand poking me awake. And so I grabbed the hand, and it was this – it felt bizarre. It was slimy. It was bumpy, and it pulled away from me, and I jolted up out of bed and just pushed myself into the corner of the bed staring at this thing that was about three feet tall in front of me. And it had, it had a head like a football on its side, with these two little eyes on the edge and this sort of translucent nose. It was brown. It had sort of spindly legs, spindly limbs. And I started to kind of freak out. I I didn't know what to do. It's kind you know you get it's this visceral feeling that shoots through you, full of adrenaline, when you see something that you are not used to seeing. And so I started to kind of yell and this being shot into my head um, it's uh, no no sounds coming from it just the words in my head stop what you're doing it's like throwing rocks at me so all of my emotions coming out in my fear to it it felt like it was being attacked it's very interesting our emotions are very strong and for beings that are sensitive it can hurt them And then it said, we are from the signal. So the signal is what we called that project. And we're here to help you, and we want you to help us. And then it just, poof, disappeared. So then I didn't say anything. About two weeks later, it happened to another remote viewer on the team, and then another remote viewer. So it had spread throughout the team. In wanting to talk and communicate. So at that point, we went into communication with it and developed a relationship with it to understand what the heck it wants.
0: That um, were, did, were you sure that you were awake?
1: I was awake. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know, uh, right?
0: <laughs> it That seems very hard to substantiate, isn't
1: it? It is. It's impossible to substantiate. But see, that's, that's, a, that's like a lot of the things that happen within remote viewing is that, you know, in the, in the human thinking realm, something's not real unless it can be sus- substantiated by – through physical means, whether other witnesses, whether physical uh, proof. I mean, you just can't. You can't substantiate it. Well,
0: you said these lights were where?
1: The lights were in Puerto Rico um, where they first started to come down. Um, so this happens with remote viewers is that if they remote view something of an anomalous nature and this anomalous thing has a consciousness to it, then that consciousness can take notice of the remote viewers and begin to interact with them. And that can lead to a physical interaction down the road.
0: So with with um, the practice of remote viewing, it sounds to me like, um, again, like the practice of shamanism. We're starting to dance with the esoteric to a point that there's bleed through between the esoteric, as in unseen, and our ordinary reality perceptions. How can we tell that we aren't perceiving a metaphor rather than a literal happening?
1: Well, the one way that we do it is by remote viewing it later on. Um, so, so we'll get validation through things with remote viewing itself to understand the reality of it. Um, So we'll often work it that way, but we have that tool um, that we can use other than that, you know, to the average person or scientist, you know, you just discount it all and push it off to the side and say that it was just something that happened in your head.
0: Well, it
1: is, isn't it? (laughs) Ultimately. Yeah. You are everything.
0: Right. So, um, how do you reconcile these kind of experiences with being a practical um, scientific remote viewer? How, how do you put those two together and uh, stay sane, if you will?
1: You know, for me, it, it's, it, remote viewers can get destabilized um, when they go too deep into <clears throat> these other realms. And for me, it's really always about um, paying attention to what's happening inside of my body. Uh, emotion-wise, feeling-wise, having a firm grounding on Earth, connecting with nature, um, that will keep one sane in this whole process. And it's very, very important to have a grounding process when you're engaged in this kind of stuff. Very important.
0: That makes sense, because our realities are based on a hologram, really, and what we believe we see uh, may or may not be accurate. It
1: may or may not. It may or may not.
0: So yeah. how, how can remote viewing be a path to enlightenment and aid our evolution into more conscious human beings?
1: Well, that's the thing of it is that The very process of remote viewing, it's a microcosm macrocosm situation where the very process of remote viewing begins to teach you how you abstract and extrapolate into higher level concepts from low level information, from basic basic senses and feeling. And so it teaches you how to be in, in the moment, purely in the moment, without trying to turn that into some grander idea or story only get the information only be in that place and get the information and this is very reflective of what happens when you go into meditation or a deep spiritual practice is that you're trying to see what reality is and let go of the ideas of yourself all of the concepts all of the 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 big story that we create about who we are remote viewing teaches you the construct of being able to dismantle that And so they work together. You know, not that remote viewing is the spiritual path, but it it shows you the same path that all deep spiritual people have taken in the past.
0: Well, it seems like the stories that we tell ourselves and each others are really the currency of our reality, isn't it? So isn't this very alienating to dismantle our stories and still try to relate?
1: Not really, because you just don't attach to the stories. You can still have the stories, but you don't attach. Um, You know, when you go to a place where you let go of ideas of yourself, it's a liberating place. Yet that self still exists. You're just not holding on to the ideas of that self anymore.
0: Fascinating. So, John, what is your mission?
1: You know... It is to inspire people to go inside of themselves um, <laughs> through stories, right? Because remote viewing, you know, what I do, a lot of the stuff that I do is to, to show people the stories that remote viewing created. So in a sense, it's almost like a bait and switch, right? They have, there's this grand story and adventure, yet at the same time, if they begin to learn it, they'll learn that they have to let go of their stories to truly perceive what's there. So that's my mission. Is to dismantle stories
0: only to build a new one?
1: It's a contradiction.
0: Yes, it is. Pretty fascinating. Yeah. So we're just about out of time. I mean, it has flown, of course. What is your vision for remote viewing in the future as, as a benefit to mankind, humankind, if you will?
1: Well, you know, I mean, there's a lot of I, – I I think that we are – kind of in a place called the kali yuga the hindus call it the kali yuga it's it's the last of four ages where lies become truth and truth becomes lies where there's a lot of violence where the world's upside down and i think that doing a process like this can take you back to the truth to know what's true and what's not true um, based off of feeling and understanding and connect back into divinity the divinity that exists within yourself. So that that is where I think remote viewing can take us, or help to take us. There are a lot of different ways. Shamanism is one as well. You know, and all these things are the same thing. They just, like, have been turned into these little facets of one jewel. Um, and I believe that this is integral for the future, the evolution of consciousness, so that we can begin to un- understand the broader multiverse around us and who we are within it.
0: That's that's a that's a beautiful thought. And I thank you. Unfortunately, we are out of time again at flu. Thank you so much for coming on the show, John.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate being here.
0: It's been it's been enjoyable. Our guest this hour has been John Vavanko, the author of The Time Before, The Secret Words on the Path of Remote Viewing, High Strangeness and Zen. John is a professional remote viewer and director of operations for Transdimensional systems. His website, righthemispheric.com. Remember, our entire information-packed past episode collection is available for listen or download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Guilda Wiecka coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our evolving world.